Yeah. Hey, Leo, how's it going? It is going. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing fine too. We're still getting a little bit sick um, yesterday and this morning, but I'm better now. Had a lot of tea and a lot of rest. Granted, this past week has been pretty crazy. Um, so <laughs> I've been not having a good sleep schedule. And that's that's really not not good. I, I should I should know better. I'm an adult, so I should know that eight hours of sleep is necessary and not a privilege that you have once a month or something like that. <laughs> when is the earliest you go to bed? Or you went to bed this past week? Uh it's a good question. I uh maybe two AM. Huh. And you woke up at? Uh, I think between 8 and 9. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I don't really have any blackout curtains in my room. So since it's been pretty bright outside lately, the light just bleeds into my room, stabs me in the eye, and forces me to wake up. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty violent description of what happens in the morning. That's That's how it feels like when you go to bed late and you wake up. You know, after four hours of sleep, because of the sunlight, it feels like someone someone's stabbing you in the eye. <laughs> oh man, the metaphor there, like the 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 color and and uh, prose and poetry in what you described in the morning as the sun blends <laughs> into, <laughs> into my into my bedroom and and the rays stab me in the eyes. I woke up, but I died inside. Yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of people feel like me. <laughs> Most of the yeah. probably college students, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, I know the feeling. It's it, it's pretty annoying. And I think especially when when you know that especially I think I think I think it's it's annoying before you go to bed and as you're about to 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 wake up because you know you're probably going to experience a very painful uh wake up you know routine when the sun decides to do his thing but you got to do it anyways yeah. because you know you have things to accomplish at midnight and then in the morning it's like yeah i knew this would happen <laughs> why yeah. you be like that yeah yeah and then during the afternoon i start feeling tired and sluggish and for some reason i rationalize i need caffeine not sleep to to keep going and I drink caffeine. So long story short, I've had way too much caffeine this past week. Gotcha. To the point where I I I had to say, okay, I, I need to stop. This is this is getting out of control. Mm. Becoming counterproductive. How how much caffeine is too much caffeine? For you. So for me, well, have you ever like drank coffee and still fall asleep? Um, good. Well, I can't tell. I, I drank coffee in college and I've always been pretty bad at like going to going to sleep early anyways. And mm -hmm. even when I drank coffee, I was still going to bed at about the same time, which was always late. So I don't, yeah, I don't think that ever happened. And then I stopped. So I, I don't know. I've, I don't know if I have an, enough of an experience to, to actually, you know, okay. relate to that. Okay. I have two things that I use to measure how much is too much. One is, you know, if it's say not really late at night, but maybe 8 PM or something. And I feel like I need to stay up for that for a little bit longer. And I decided to drink some caffeine. Mm -hmm. be it like coffee or diet coke or something like that which is also not a good idea and i still fall asleep yeah i know i've had too much where my body just can process it like it's nothing and still decide it's time to rest you silly boy mm. that's one way the other way is um when i feel like i need to have caffeine in order for the day to go well <laughs> Gotcha. 
So I'm drinking it every day or on a daily basis. Once a day, probably. Mm. Sometimes twice, which is not that good. Okay. And not like, uh, you know, wake up in the morning and drink coffee. No, it's like wake up and feel, yeah, and throughout the day feeling very, yeah, until I have a cup of coffee and feel less, yeah, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So do you, this, this thing, this thing of like drinking coffee and, and feeling energetic or I think yeah, coffee or some of the, um, energy drinks, mm-hmm. do you, I sometimes do think maybe just from, you know, being an outsider and just looking at, you know, coworkers and, and, and friends do that. Part of me still doesn't fully understand when or where that starts. Like when, like when did you decide that this was going to be the new you? I'm going <laughs> to start drinking these things to get, you know, get by. Well, we're in the United States, so it's a bit of a striving society where got to work hard and go get things to move on with life, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see something that allows you to get a, l- a little bit of an edge, then you go and take it. I mean, something within the bounds of, you know, what's legal and what's not too harmful to your body. But if everyone is, is taking that, are you still getting, if everyone is doing the same thing you're doing, how much of an edge do you actually get? Yeah, as much as them. But the truth is, it's not everybody. That's that's why it's it's still something that kind of helps. Gotcha. Yeah, but well, the thing with caffeine is, and what I thought you were going with was, well, how do you know it's working, right? That too, yeah. Yeah, and we can talk about that a little bit because you you mentioned being energetic from drinking coffee, and I would say that's not quite the case, not for me. And I think that's not the case for anybody. Okay. The The whole energy spurt comes from sugar. Like a lot of energy drinks, they are pretty sugary. Even the ones that are low calorie have probably some substitutes that maybe, maybe deliver some similar results. Okay. Whereas with coffee alone, if you drink coffee, you're not necessarily going to have a spurt of energy. You're just not going to be too sleepy. Gotcha. Like, I'll be tired, but I won't fall asleep. <laughs> and I'll it, feel it, it in my <laughs> eyes that I'm tired. I'll feel it in my body that I'm tired, but I'm just not going to fall asleep. Okay. Part of me feels like that's worse. <laughs> Probably. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that, that to me feels like torture. It's like you know you could sleep, but something is keeping you is keeping you awake. And what what if you decide midway through through the day uh, that you do want to to go to, go to sleep? Do you do you if I had if I had, if I had caffeine already, mm-hmm. I'll close my eyes but never really fall into deep sleep. Oh wow! I'll just kind of have my eyes closed and think about stuff, and that's it. Oh wow! Yeah. Never really fall asleep properly. And also depends on what you're doing too. If what you're exposing yourself to is stimulating, then you're not going to fall asleep anyways. Stimulating is in like watching movies that are very like, you know, action intensive and things like that. No, just watching movies, period. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just paying attention to something that's happening that is providing some sort of, you know, stimuli. Gotcha. Gotcha. Honestly, the movie is very boring and it's like, you know, watching paint dry or something. But even then, I don't know if you, if you would really fall asleep by watching paint dry. Never tried it. (laughs) You might. I might. Yeah. It's possible that I might do that. I mean, I tried to fall asleep by looking at the ceiling, but it didn't work. (laughs) You start counting, counting sheep. Nah, 
it's probably, I mean, I guess that's probably better. I was thinking of counting in binary, but that's not going to be helpful because you're going <laughs> to think too much. <laughs> so it's going to keep you awake anyways. Uh, yeah, that's, you could, you could try. As what I do sometimes is I will, I'll pull up a tutorial, <laughs> a tutorial <laughs> of like for something that I actually want to learn. Mm-hmm. And I, but, but I'll try to like get a sequence of those and I'll just start watching it. I know that eventually I'm going to fall asleep, but that gives me the illusion. I know it's an illusion because in the, you know, when I actually need to do whatever the, the tutorial was teaching, I, I need mm-hmm. to watch the tutorial anyways, <laughs> again, anyways. <laughs> so it's yeah. an illusion that you're being productive, but it at least, well, yeah, it's an illusion that you're, it gives you the illusion of something productive when you're not being productive, but at least also because of the, you know, because you're just laying there and you do that in bed, you're just laying there, you eventually fall asleep. Uh, You, with the risk of maybe finding something um, too insightful that you want to try yourself, say like if it's coding and someone Mm -hmm. shows you how some technology can actually be, uh, you know, some programming statement can be improved by, a factor of, you know, I don't know, 15, 15% and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're and there you, thinking, you're like, I can oh. just get up and do that real quickly. Right. Exactly. So there is that risk, but most of the time, if you're just uh, like watching, like, you know, if it's just a code along, someone is just explaining why something works and they're showing you, you know, their discoveries, or even if you're just watching, a, at least what I do, I will go for, what are those called? Uh, conferences. So I'll just watch mm-hmm. a conference where someone explains. Like PyCon or something like that? Yeah, PyCon, DjangoCon, mm-hmm. uh, RubyCon, <laughs> any conference out there. that JupyterCon. <laughs> I haven't watched those yet. Uh, those, yeah, those. Well, I, just, I just watched one presentation from it. Yeah. Yeah, it can be fun. And, and if I really... If I really, really feel like I, I, I need to get into like a, um, I guess, into a, a state where my mind isn't paying too much attention, then I'll put a game, uh, like mm-hmm. the repetition of a game, uh, like rebroadcast a game. Because usually those, if, if I'm watching on my on my phone, those are pretty small. So like you can't really see much. You, you're still into the action <laughs> of what's happening, mm-hmm. but you can't fully engage at least in my experience, you can't fully engage. So you're still there. It's still interesting to you. It's more interesting than staring at the wall, which keeps yeah. you awake for longer. But mm-hmm. it's not as interesting as to keep you awake or to keep me awake for, for that long. But, you know. Yeah. yeah. I should do something similar to that. But as opposed to me pretending to be productive, I will watch the most unproductive thing <laughs> that I can think of at the time. <laughs> and that is watching memes. Gotcha. Well, those those can be uh, fun. Yeah, they can be fun, but they can put me to sleep too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that works. It works. <laughs> I was finding myself kind of mind. Yeah, I guess it's just the fact that I'm just there, not being mindful, and allowing myself to dumb down. <laughs> to laugh at these stupid jokes, <laughs> some of which aren't even that funny, but they're just silly and it works and you're like, huh, funny. Yeah. And then you doze off. It's, it's, uh, I'm not proud of it. Because <laughs> if anything, everything that everybody that is trying to get you to live a better life will tell you is put your phone away. Yeah. An hour before you go to bed. And the thing is, it actually does work. Like, disconnect. Like, an hour before you go to bed, go to bed, and you just kind of fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But with me, it's kind of hard to get away. Let me get away. Like, um, make that context switch from using devices to going to bed because I feel the need to use the devices until the very last minute that I need to go to bed. Yeah, I know. I know. I most days I can sort of turn my my phone off, not completely, but like stop using it, um, mm-hmm. lock it, and then just look at something else. But 
some other days I will do something right before I go to bed. So like I will, I will do like a, you know, I'll take a lesson, uh, like a quick Duolingo lesson, um, mm-hmm. for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I'll put my phone away. But even when I do those things, they're not from, at least they, they're not very, um, I guess the, the stimulus that I get or the stimulation that I get isn't very, I guess, very intense, very intense, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. even, even, even after the lesson, even after the lesson, of course, you know, you're thinking about the lesson, but you're not thinking about it, um, in, in terms of solving a, a very, very hard problem, you know, like physics problem or something, you're just thinking, oh, yeah. oh, I learned a new word and tomorrow I can, I can wake up and say this word instead of the other one that I used to say, or, mm-hmm. you know, I can, so your brain sort of enters into that kind of state where you process it, you're processing something that is new, but you're not consumed by it. So that still works for me. Yeah. And I guess I'm just curious if that helps you learn better. Um, I, I don't know. I have, I have yet to test how effective that is. I know I can remember the stuff that I learned, but I, but I don't know if it's due to when I'm doing the lessons or if it's just due to the repetition that the lesson already uh, includes. So like a lot of the Duolingo lessons will, will, will kind of force you to, they will try to reinforce um, your learning by repeating the, repeating some of the same kind of From ideas. words and topics. And, and words I think and it's topics. called space repetition. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. for learning where you, I guess you expose yourself to some things and as you learn new things, other things will sometimes come up. Exactly. And if you fail to, you know, show that you learned them, they'll come up more often. Mm-hmm. And if yep. you do actually learn them, then they'll just, you know, be forgotten mm-hmm. by the system. Yeah. Kinda, they, something like they, that. Yeah. They, they do a lot of that when you, when you take tests, um, mm-hmm. that is Duolingo. And, and then I, I use another, an, uh, another application called Lingvist that, that actually they use a lot more of that. Uh, Duolingo is still, and for some language uh, levels or like lessons, for some lessons, mm-hmm. everything will revolve around the same sort of set of exercises. Even if you master them, you sort of still be you know presented with those. But with okay. Lingvist, they do a lot more of what you described where they, they will over time and... F- sort of uh, create a a profile for what type of learner you are and Mm -hmm. what type of um and and how much of the language you've you've actually mastered at your level and they will over time and i say over time even as you're taking a lesson they will adjust the lesson um to match you know your your style or your mistakes or yeah that's interesting yeah it's it's it's, it's, yeah it's pretty interesting the way they do it Yeah. yeah Duolingo is pretty static in that sense where the lesson is, you know, the lesson is set, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense because they're pretty discreet in what they're trying to teach you. Yeah. Well, discreet in the sense of like it's set. It's this lesson is for this, this thing specifically. Yeah. 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 Actually, just since we're talking about languages, mm-hmm. uh, when, when we moved here, mm-hmm. you know, eight, you know, almost eight years ago, isn't it a little bit more than that? Has it? Has it? Where, 20, uh, 2013, right? Yes, that's when it was. Oops. The 2013. Yeah, it's eight years. Yeah. Just about. We're just about. Oh, yeah, we're, we're close to eight years, yeah. Yeah, just about, yeah. Uh, this, this summer. Wow. Mm-hmm. So most of us, we... Uh, the, the like the 18, 18 of us, we had very different uh, personalities and different levels of, of knowledge of the English language. Mm-hmm. So for your experience uh, now, like looking back, what are some of the things that like, how do you think your, you know, your, your skills and, and, and just your view of the English language and the Portuguese language 
you know, kind of changed over the course of like those, uh, these eight, almost eight years. Oh yeah. Man, at the beginning. Uh, so prior to coming to the United States, I, I was half teaching myself English, half learning from school. And I guess Leo would know and everybody who's gone to school in Angola would know that, well, the teachers that teach English at school, they weren't doing a, a great job per se, at least not in the sense that you would go and actually communicate effectively gotcha. with another English speaker. Yes, you know, some words, you know how to say some things, but it wouldn't be as effective because, you know, you'd be a little bit rigid, which makes sense. I mean, as you're learning a new language, you always come off as a little bit rigid and not knowing the nuance of the language and how to use it properly to express yourself properly. Mm-hmm. You're kind of limited in that sense. And I was a little bit limited in the expressing myself creatively, whereas I could kind of state facts and that's fine. But, you know, when you're speaking to people, you don't always just state facts. You, you know, come up with jokes, sometimes say some, you know, use some sarcasm or (laughs) some more, some more, uh, (laughs) interesting forms of, you know, uh, displaying information or conveying, you know, how you're feeling and what you're thinking of. Yeah. And it was a little bit hard to me to get that down. And I only realized that now because, you know, at the time I had no idea that I had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. It only became apparent once I started dating and, you know, it was, language was kind of a barrier. And I was like, oh, <laughs> crap, that's <laughs> this girl was always upset at me <laughs> because I kept misunderstanding her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think even even when you when you both speak the same language, <laughs> there could al- al- already be uh, some misunderstandings. But like when when you're dating someone that doesn't speak the mm-hmm. same language as you, uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it gets even more. Especially like in your case, uh, English was was the only language that you both had in common. So yes. you you couldn't just fall back like now, for example, like I can't fall back to Portuguese or English with my wife and, and, and that that sort of helps. But like even then <laughs> you're like, you have, oh, you know, I misunderstood you in Portuguese. Uh, now let's have an argument in English and let's misunderstand <laughs> each other there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but at least it's a little bit more nuanced where like, oh. You said that in English, but you wouldn't have said that in Portuguese. So maybe I misunderstood you instead of, you know, assuming that the person said something offensive or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That really was a huge factor in me, I guess, mastering the English language as I went through. Mm. And I guess when we first came here, we had to go through for an English course, right? Yeah, yeah. It had different levels, I think total of seven levels, mm-hmm. which, you know, logically you would you would probably infer, well, the higher the level, the better your skill with English, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And there was some truth to it. So when I got here, because I, I was already learning English and I was also a quirky boy, I cared too much about learning English that, you know, I spent a huge amount of time learning it growing up without no one telling me to. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't because of school. It was just because I just wanted to learn and I wanted to watch TV in peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that ties into our previous episode about talking about TV where we had DSTV, right? Mm-hmm. And DSTV in the early stages, didn't have that many Portuguese speaking channels. So all the movies were mostly from, uh, I guess MG. Oh, MG, MGM was, was the MGM. What's, what's the, Mnet? The I don't studio. know what Mnet was. Mnet was, was an actual channel. Oh yeah. It was Mnet. Yeah. Mnet definitely. And other yeah. stuff. And 
also cartoons or Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just watched all of that, and I wanted to understand some of it, so I went to learn. Plus, for some reason, my dad had a book, the Red Book of the Oxford English Course. Oh, nice. And I read that, and I loved it because I had pictures in it. Nice. And I was reading through that and just trying to understand like through watching TV and reading that book and other stuff and later school work too. And later, later video games and talking to one friend of mine all the time. Okay. We spoke, we spoke in English because no one else would understand it. (laughs) (laughs) It was our secret language. (laughs) The things you, the things you do when you start learning a new language, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like you, you know, there's that, uh, amount of secrecy like yeah let's just speak you know speaking english and yeah. let's look down on everybody else that doesn't speak the language <laughs> oh yeah we were horrible <laughs> mostly me i was horrible if people could hear and understand what i was talking about behind their backs or you know in front of them in english they would they, they would beat me up <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I do remember one of the things that I that I struggled with, even it happened in Portuguese and in English. Mm-hmm. So, as you you probably you know, you probably remember a lot of a lot of our peers and actually mm-hmm. you know our society uh, in, in Angola is sort of structured in a way where the the majority really rules most of the like it. What's conventional is what most people uh, accept to be to be correct. So even mm-hmm. even if you are going to college and you're learning the correct way to say a word, you know mm-hmm. you know that a word has been mispronounced for centuries in <laughs> and you finally learn how to how to say the word and you want to use that correct expression, uh, you are taking taken as a snobbish as snobbish as as as, as arrogant and, and and whatnot and i remember for me that was there was a big challenge uh, as i was learning english mm-hmm. because the more i learned english the more i i understood some of our uh i guess misconceptions in of portuguese and so mm-hmm. my so english was improving my portuguese and so when i started talking to people in either language, I started, you know, people took me as, as even more the, snobbish. The snobbish guy. Yeah. They, they took me as snobbish before for different reasons. Me being yeah. very int- introverted and not being very sociable made a lot of folks think that I was ignoring them. When in reality, mm-hmm. I was just a very awkward kid. And I, yeah. you know, most of the time I didn't know what, what to, you know, what to say and how yeah. to join yeah, the conversation. Yeah. And so you know, me being in that position now where I'm learning to say, you know, to say that, uh, like a very, very concrete example that one of my, my teachers, um, taught us was our, our misuse of the verb to have in Portuguese. So did, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. When we say, tem uma, sei lá, tem uma tigela na mesa. When we really mean to say, to use the verb, uh, you know, haver, a uma tigela na mesa. And oh, so yeah, because <laughs> there's a possession and the existence, and you're talking about the existence of it, right? Exactly, yeah, because the mm-hmm. table cannot possess the, the object. And so we learned that in English with, you know, by saying, ah, there is instead of have, you know. Uh, yeah. The table has, you know, a plate or a dish or a bowl or whatever. And I think, and so as we were going through that, I started embracing all of those changes in in English, and I knew that if I embraced them in Portuguese, that would also allow me to speak English better. Yeah. So, so you embrace them in one language and you basically teach your brain to be consistent. And that mm-hmm. just makes your learning uh, a lot more, you know, a lot more fluid and streamlined. And that was a nightmare. <laughs> that was a nightmare. I remember just going through, going through lessons, talking to people in my neighborhood or people, you know, even, even in school. So like my, my mm-hmm. peers and people giving me, you know, giving me a hard time for adopting those changes. And yeah, but then we, you know, when we moved here, uh, I didn't have to deal with that anymore. 
because yeah. you know yeah because i was only speaking english and, and i had to just to, to learn more english so that the people here who didn't have the portuguese background um so that they would understand me because you know even the mistakes we make in in english if you're surrounded by portuguese speakers they sort of understand where your mistake is coming from and they can you know they can yeah, basically they can, ignore they can make up for it and make up for that yeah 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 kind of interesting that you mentioned that you learning english was affecting how you spoke portuguese mm-hmm. and i feel like that's something that maybe inadvertently change the way or changes the way uh, people speak a language once they start learning a different language. Mm. It's not like, you know, it's compartmentalized where Portuguese is Portuguese and English is English. There's this, you know, kind of symbiotic relationship where one affects the other and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had the same experience and I know some people had the same experience too. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's two things I want to talk about. One being how learning English made me better understand and better appreciate Portuguese and how Mm. learning English made me want to change Portuguese. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but it's not like, you know, drastic change. It's just silly stuff. Uh, First with the the thing I mentioned first, the the former, um, I didn't like Portuguese growing up. Part of the reason why I wanted to learn English too. Okay. Yeah. I didn't like speaking Portuguese because, well, I didn't know how to express myself. I was awfully misunderstood and not listened to. So I decided, you know, I don't like speaking this language where I'm misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Where in reality, I didn't have, well, one, I didn't have enough understanding of myself as a person. And two, I didn't have enough understanding of the language and how I could use it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was given a tool that I didn't know how to use. So I was resentful and threw it away. Yeah. Something like that. I just threw it away because we really don't have any choice. You <laughs> gotta speak Portuguese. <laughs> otherwise you're screwed. <laughs> but I had, I had English as my safe, saving grace. And the fact that there existed some English content for me to consume i i was like okay it's useful it it has some value for me yeah yeah but as i came to learn english more a lot of things that didn't make sense to me in portuguese started to make more sense to me Mm. like and i don't know maybe i'm just it's easier for me to understand things that i explained in english because i feel like the language makes more sense to me than portuguese does because there are some words in Portuguese that I really don't understand why you would use that to describe that thing and it really confuses me and I just kind of give up on trying to understand it gotcha or maybe just you know I didn't know better like how time works right Mm -hmm. when you're conjugating verbs in Portuguese there's like 1500 different times (laughs) (laughs) But hey, I think I think that gave me. I used to be. I, I I used to. I used to have a a hard time with that until I had to teach someone who only spoke English. Mm. Um, actually, no. Actually, yeah. I remember I met this guy uh, at the Alliance Française, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, in, in in Luanda, and so I, I went to. <laughs> My father, my father had this idea that, you know, he wanted me to learn French. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time I was already having English classes uh, at school. So he wanted me to learn French. And so he did, he, he told me to go to, to Alliance Francaise so I could, mm-hmm. you know, find out about, about the courses and, and about the modules and things like that. Turned out yeah. the, the course was actually a lot more expensive than he was willing to, um, you know, to pay to for. Pay yeah. And also it we only had, I think, one location. It was pretty far, mm-hmm. and that w- that would interfere with my 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 yeah, regular s- s- schedule. Yeah. And yeah, but I, I met this guy. He is an Angolan um, citizen who grew up in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his yeah his father his mother is from Ghana and his father is from from Angola, 
and I met him okay. there and he he spoke English and you know I was very excited that like he basically was a native speaker of English because he moved to oh, Canada nice. pretty pretty early and he was mm-hmm. teaching me a couple things in English and he in in exchange he said well I can teach you as much as I know we can exchange numbers and I'm here at the Alliance Française because I want to learn Portuguese they also taught Portuguese to, to foreigners and so mm-hmm. we started exchanging exchanging you know uh language knowledge and one of the mm-hmm. things that's when I started actually appreciating how Portuguese works because I had to teach him how to conjugate verbs in Portuguese oh and I remember just thinking there's got to be a system to this and that's when I, I started realizing that a lot of the conjugation actually follows patterns and those patterns are all there uh, of course there are some verbs that kind of fall outside yes. You know, as per uh, usual, the, the mm-hmm. irregular verbs, <laughs> yeah. those guys, those obnoxious guys. <laughs> yeah, and and I think I think for me it was it was pretty interesting to see, like for example, like you know, if if you were talking about a verb in the first uh, first conjugation, so ending in ar, mm-hmm. uh, and you want to conjugate the verb, you know, you the first person, the the way you conjugate the first person, the second person, the third person. Uh, in like the singular form is very consistent with how you will do for some of the verbs ending in er, and then mm-hmm. the verbs that you do in ir that end in ir and then or, those also sort of fall. They they also follow like a very specific you know uh, structures. For example, if you look at the word the verb falar, and you mm-hmm. want to conjugate that in the present, you say eu falo, so you would falo. Mm-hmm. You, you would replace the ar with o, and you can mm-hmm. do that with most verbs. So falar, uh, tomar, tomo, you tomar, know, tomo. Okay. Andar, yeah, yeah. Andu. and you do. So mm-hmm. I started noticing a lot of those patterns that I remember. I think I think I was taught those patterns. I just never cared to understand until <laughs> I had to teach them. And that is so, true. That, that's how that <laughs> happens a lot. You just don't care to understand when you're being thought it because why, why should i care I'm, yeah doesn't matter yeah and i think yeah. the more the more i did that for him the more i was i was so fascinated i remember writing like a, a a couple pages of like instructions helping him sort of think in terms of a of a system because that's how we learn english anyways we were given like a system to understand how things generally worked and then yeah. i gave him that and i gave them some of the most uh used uh, um, irregular verbs, um, like start, start, start is pretty irregular. It's like, like, you know, eu estou just kind of breaks out of that, that mold, uh, pretty mm-hmm. quickly. So I had to do that for start yeah. and sit, uh, which also happened to be very irregular verbs in most languages. Um, oh, yeah. you know, verb to be, it's like, I am mm-hmm. like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and, and, and so, so yeah, I gave him that. And I think that for me was a the, the, was the moment when I I truly started appreciating Portuguese. I don't think I ever really appreciated the language until then. And eventually, um, I started reading more. And you know, the more I, I I taught him, the more I learned, and the more I, I enjoyed it. And then English became still my I guess preferred language, uh, just because of the cool factor and everything. But mm-hmm. I was at that time I was. I was not replacing Portuguese with English. I was just supplementing Portuguese with with English, if that makes sense. It makes sense. That's pretty yeah. good that that's the experience that you had. I mean, have I had this a similar experience in the past? Maybe I would be more appreciative of of the Portuguese language for what it is and what it can do because it's actually very, very rich and you can do so much with it. Yeah. That yeah. with you can with a a, a whole lot of other languages yeah. yeah and just the fact that there's different ways of conjugating verbs like in the sense that there's was it like eight eight different times that you could have and i guess i'm using time but that might, that might not be the proper uh, word tenses like t- tense exactly yeah. thank you yeah yeah like in english there's not that many there's like past present there's no future right you just add the well, that is how you do. Yeah, you, oh, the, I guess that's how. How yeah, you, that how the you future continue tense. the future? Just add the word that will. makes it future. Yeah, will. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Yeah, Whereas and then you there's have, an actual. You have some conditionals as well. 
You have some conditionals, yeah. some um, you have some you have some some forms of some past tenses that are sort of require a little bit more of a maybe of context like a, or something context and mental gymnastics. Like when you say, "I I had and I had had," or yeah. When you do some conditionals, when you uh, not conditional, some I, I don't know if it's conditional, but you're talking about the future, but using uh, the past as a reference. So you say, uh, you know, next year I will have made, you know, 20, you know, programs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's but, like talking about the yeah. future, yeah. assuming that in the past this happened. So I guess it's kind of conditional. Yeah, conditional, yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 this gymnastics that made me really understand a little bit more, both in English and in Portuguese, how conjugation works. Because for the most part, for the longest part, it didn't make sense to me that it existed. <laughs> I felt like yeah. they just existed to be on an exam for me to, you know, figure out what they mean. <laughs> yeah. And what really annoyed me the most was verb to be, right? Mm-hmm. The tinha. Tinha is what? It's a past past participle. Uh, it's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a regular past tense. It's a different kind of past tense. Which. Uh, but when know, you say verb to to be, thing you. It, oh, like, I'm sorry. Not to be. To is, have. Oh, to have. have yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, to have. My bad. Sorry. Yeah, tinha ter, and eu tenho, eu tive, eu tinha. Ah, esse é o pretérito imperfeito. O tinha. I think so. Because yeah. you say the perfect will be, uh, like it actually happened, right? Yeah, it actually happened. And then you say, <laughs> now that I now that I think about it, I, I don't remember most of it now. Uh, it's yeah, actually, it's it's, worth, it's it's hard to remember that once you're actually speaking, you know how to use it from the context cues, but you don't know how to define it because you know yeah. it's all about can I use it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's fine. But that's one thing that really annoyed me because for the most part. When we were talking about having something in the past, we, we would use tinha, mm-hmm. which is not pretérito perfeito, which is not the way you should describe something in the past. Yeah. Or something that just happened, yeah. Yeah. It's like, ah, eu tinha dinheiro, instead of eu tive dinheiro. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it, it sounds weird. <laughs> and that's that's how most people talk anyways. People say tinha a lot of the times. And it's it, it doesn't follow with everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and also it it it, in, it sort of implies a a past that is a lot that happened a lot further in the past than than like you can't say el tinha and say yesterday. Like it doesn't. Yes, I can. You can, but like uh, yeah, 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 yeah. you're, you're not you supposed you to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but I get. But I guess now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, you, you, yeah, it does make sense. A lot of a lot of how a lot of our usage of of pretéritos kind of just live in you know the imperfect uh, tense, never in the perfect tense. <laughs> yeah, it's like a thing, uh, and. and uh, but then, but I, but I think different verbs sort of give us different vibes. Yeah. For example, like um, the verb to to come. So when you say, you know, you you could say, ontem eu vim. Some people mm-hmm. will say, eu vinha. But but mm-hmm. you know, like intuitively, you know that sounds more wrong than eu tinha. <laughs> <laughs> so, so exactly. I don't, yeah. So I don't know why why we do that. I I don't, huh? That's uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess it just sounds better, huh? And that's the thing. Like ultimately, what defines how the language would work is how people use it. Yeah. You can say as much as you like that to Google is not a verb, but you know it's a verb now. Yeah. Because people made it into a verb. Yeah. And that's yeah. also like a whole different debate on how language should be either prescriptive or descriptive and yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting debate hmm. amongst, you know, people who study the well, languages in general. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like when I when you hear like linguists mm-hmm. um, and those who sort of specialize in describing a language versus those who specialize in prescribing use the usage of the language, and mm-hmm. and you have different fights as well because some people want the language to take a specific direction. Um, even like when you think about something as like a dictionary, you mm-hmm. may have a a publishing house that yeah. is that that publishes versions of of dictionaries where they sort of describe how the language is being used, but also prescribe how they want the language to be used. Mm-hmm. When in reality they shouldn't, like grammar books are supposed to be the prescriptive uh, approach, but then. Oh. Yeah, but but at the same time, you have in 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 a dictionary, you sort of have to tell people how to use it. But you can't, you just can't be too opinionated about it. True. <laughs> however, however, you can balance that. Um, but then the grammar books will be like, listen, uh, saying such and such is wrong. Uh, the dictionaries will try to, um, as, as as much as possible, try to not do that and they will you know step away from that from that discussion but they sort mm-hmm. of still have to because they have to like when they give you the uh what is the the morphology the of the word oh, yeah, the morphology, okay. morphology yeah. of a word and then you know then the and then a usage guide with examples the example sort of is a prescription <laughs> it's them saying see how people are using it and try to use it this way but because yeah. it is it is an example and not an actual rule, then it's not a, really a prescription. It's just a description. <laughs> but then the grammar <laughs> book, the grammar book will be like, yeah, listen, if you say this, you're incorrect. <laughs> um, and yeah, but, 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 but the thing, yeah. the thing is, are you incorrect, though, if you use it that way? Because well, ultimately, communic- if, if you're using language to communicate, if we both understand the message... Didn't I accomplish my mission? Yeah, you did. You did. But I think I think I think they try they try to have you look at at on one hand your your usage of the language or your use of the language. On the mm-hmm. other hand, your purpose for using the language. So mm-hmm. in your purpose you have succeeded. In your usage of the language you have failed. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. So, and it's and the I same guess, thing with programming, right? Like in program, mm. like when you when you're programming. Oh, okay, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, it just sank in very quickly. <laughs> I fully understand what you mean. <laughs> oh, uh, man. it's like you can solve a problem with good code that you know is actually reusable. Mm-hmm. Or you can do a bunch of if else's and just hard code things in and still get the job done. Yeah. And have the program be like a thousand lines of code and it could be just five hundred. <laughs> uh yeah. I saw oh, I, I saw I saw a meme. I think it was someone who wrote an if statement using a while loop. Oh god, no. Um, it was it was something Not, something weird. Um Yeah, it's you do a while and check the condition. <laughs> And if the condition matches of whatever you want to do, then stop. Otherwise, keep going. Exactly. I think it was using a random number, which is worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's... As I keep learning English, um, like by practice, uh, mm-hmm. and, and as I keep kind of exploring more of Portuguese, and I'm, I've recently decided to to learn French again, uh, to, to mm-hmm. actually start practicing French. Yeah. I've found out that English at uh, Portuguese and Spanish are actually um unique in their usage of two verbs to describe the state of being and the quality of being because Portuguese and Spanish both have estar and ser. Mhm. French Estoy, soy Exactly. Oh, it doesn't? French doesn't. Italian doesn't. Romanian, which is also Latin-based, doesn't. Oh, is it really? Yeah. I had no idea. I should never try to learn, learn Romanian anyway, so... Huh. Yeah, I, 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 did, I, <laughs> I, I did try for, for a little bit until 
until I didn't. I, I tried Turkish at one point. Oh, not tried. I was forced to try. Wait, you were forced to try? Yeah. I had to go to Turkey for a thing for school. Oh, wait. You actually went to Turkey? Mm-hmm. Nice. Wait, how come I never knew about that? When was it? I don't talk about it that much. Uh, I was in middle school, ninth grade, eighth grade, something like that. And it was a long time ago. And I don't remember much of it besides how to say hi. And the reason why I mentioned uh, Turkey in Turkish was because you were learning Romanian. Mm-hmm. And I've also been to Romania. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Dude, how, how come Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm only learning about these things now? Well, because I never talk about them. That's why. So well, Turkish, uh, Turkey and Romania, they were like at the same trip. And I think I had to stop in Turkey for a little bit because there were some hiccups while going to Romania. Okay, what other countries did you go to on, on that trip? I mean, I went to South Africa first, but I never really left the airport. Okay. So it was Angola, South Africa, South Africa, Turkey, and then Turkey, Romania. And it was supposed to be a, like a like a quick layover, but it ended up being longer. That's why I had to, you know, go out in Turkey and be there for a little bit. I was in Istanbul. I didn't visit a lot of places though, because it was unplanned. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I guess this deserves a story then. I need to explain why I was there. (laughs) 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 This this can be our cliffhanger for this episode.